On this episode, I interviewed David Dwyer, who has worked across multiple sports in different countries, including the Western Force. On this episode, we talked first about working across the multiple sports in different countries, kind of looking at his big, biggest takeaways from a strength and conditioning perspective, as well as any other lessons he learned. We then talked about different ways communicating culturally wise uh, between all these different roles in different countries. We then talked about rehab and reconditioning in contact field sports. So we talked about what's your main focus is when this happens to a player, when an injury happens, what is what are you obviously the things you're looking uh, to do first? Uh, what do you consider when developing a plan? How do you keep conditioning to the best of your ability uh, overall, whether it be off feet um, or any other things he tries to implement? Progressing back into contact, so upper versus lower injuries. If you have an upper limb injury, how are you progressing back into contact? If you have a lower limb injury, how are you press- progressing back into contact? Uh, his thoughts and processes of integration back into drills and training, and then how long or, or what he does to feel comfortable about allowing people to get back into games. So, um, great episode overall. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please... Have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on David Dwyer, who has previously been with multiple high-level teams in high-performance manager role, in performance coach role, and this performance scientist role. Um, so I guess first off, we'll just have him. He's been on before. It's a great episode if you haven't listened to that. Um, but I guess we'll just have him reintroduce himself, talk a little bit about um, what he's done since the last episode, and then we can um, dive into more of our topic today. So thanks for being on. Hey, Patrick, mate. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, yeah, if you just want to maybe give a little bit of a, I guess, just a quick overview again, you know, if they haven't listened to the other episode on your, you know, past teams you've worked with, and then um, we can we can go from there. Yeah, I've worked across uh, multiple sports, mate. So, you know, rugby is certainly a, a very big passion of mine and my family's. Um, I've worked at the Waratahs, Randwick Rugby Club in Sydney, um, Fiji's Rugby World Cup squad and most recently as the physical performance manager for the Western Force. Um, I've been lucky enough to, to travel the world a little bit and work overseas with Pakistan, Bangladesh and even Afghanistan for a short little little time, a little consult job that they wanted for the 2020 World Cup in cricket um, and also at the Institute of Sport where I work with the Australian Canoe Slalom squad in the lead up to Rio. So. Yeah, very, very multiple sports, very different, and uh, I, I've loved it, actually. I, I like having um, quite a diverse range of, of sports to work with because it gives you a better understanding of what you need to analyse and, and also what your uh, strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, no, and that's great. I think that's what kind of the first thing I want to chat about here. Like, so you've obviously worked in Australia. You've worked in other countries as well as across multiple different sports with you know, rugby, you've worked, even worked with basketball a little bit in the past year and then as well as cricket. So, you know, you have your contact field-based sport, you have your court-based sport, you have your skilled overhead throwing type based sport. So I guess, um, I guess first thing, do you have uh, any big takeaways that you've, you've had, uh, maybe from an S&C principle standpoint first, things that you have, you kind of notice working in one and then looking at the other from kind of a different lens and, and things you've taken away um, some strength editioning standpoint. And then we can talk about culturally as, as working in multiple different countries as well. Oh, let's see. Um, from an SNC standpoint, I think it was just the ability to sit back, um, observe and how to analyze Um also, you know, not underestimating the, the value of a network of people in the strength and conditioning industry and, and being able to pick their brains. That's, that's probably been a, a real key and being able to then stop and sit and reflect and put together a program and protocols that are going to be specific to that particular sport. Um, going from a throwing sport, for example, in cricket, uh, and bowling um, to 
you know, scrummaging and, and tackling in rugby. Um, and then in canoe slalom, then, you know, going down rapids and being able to stop and, you know, pause on the water and, and going up through gates and then resuming all this time going through various eddies and, and white water that they go through and all those different um, positions that they can somehow or other manage to get the boat through. So from an SNC standpoint, being able to sit back, being able to reflect, being able to analyse um, and, and use those key networks have been terrific. From a cultural standpoint, well, um, it was it was kind of refreshing. I felt like going over to Pakistan for that first time that there was um, I had I had everything to learn, not them per se, um, from a cultural standpoint. So you had to make sure. Well, I felt I had to make sure that I was so open to doing everything. There was there was a um, a motto that we had that, that when I went with Jeff Lawson um, that first time, and, and that was we had to say yes to just about everything that they were they wanted us to do. Um, that way, I think you really got to experience what their side of things were. Um, when I went to Fiji, you know, it, we really took that that sort of motto and and ran with it hard, and, and we we made sure that we were going to do anything that they suggested that we do. Um, that way, we really make sure that we feel like we're connecting with them. When they feel connected, then they're going to have a little bit more of a respect that you're trying to make such an effort to be involved in their lives and, and not enforce your values and systems where you've come from anyway, you know, from an Australian standpoint, enforcing them on them, um, just drip feeding them in so that they feel like they're getting a taste of it. And, and then also getting them to ask questions. And if they're asking questions, then they're engaged. So from that particular point of view, I think it was at the time, probably a good way to go. Yeah, and I, and I think this question will kind of go along with both of those. So <clears throat> obviously you have multiple different teams or different type of sports, which all requires so much different type of physical abilities. And then you have so many different cultures and different teams you've worked with that you've <clears throat> tried to, you know, enhance and make make better. But do you have certain principles that, you, you try to hold still or things you look at and try to keep consistent across there? Like obviously training is going to be different across each sport or culturally wise, we expect this, but are there certain principles you try to integrate across all those that you can morph, let's say, you know, training here, I still want to focus on this, but I can just modify a little bit or they want their specific training done because it's how they've always done it like this. But if I just modify this slight thing, because my main principle is this, then we can, you know, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Um, look, it, it varies from role to role and place to place. Um, some places have a real culture that's ingrained and built. Um, some places that you go to, the culture needs refreshing and they want to be able to um, make sure that we're trying to recreate that and, and what does it look like? I guess for me, from an S&C standpoint, I do. I have my main fundamentals that I like to uh, reflect and re refer back to every time. And that is, first and foremost, we've got to bulletproof them. So how do we do that? I like to utilise the prehab system where we're using various exercises that are um, allowing areas of the body to strengthen and that is your main area. So your ankles, your knees, your hips, and uh, and your core. Um, you know, and then as you're getting a bit further up into that shoulder joint as well. So there's your key key movement areas, and we want to make sure that we're bulletproofing them. Um, we're doing it so that we're also warming up for potentially the next set of exercises that they're going to do. And then level two of that bulletproofing is being consistent in the amount of training that we're doing. The we start to deviate away from that consistency, refer back to it and go, well, we haven't done that for a little bit, so we need to you know, do things differently. And, that, and that's not what we want. We want to be able to have that consistency of training. And, and even in your roles, you know, that you'd want to find that there's a consistency of players available to be trained. 
therefore consistency in the training that we're we're doing on the court and then with that comes then the idea of what training for now is it the skill is it the skill of passing is it the skill of going up through a gate on the white water um and when you've got that then everything starts to fall into place and when it comes time in those winter sports as an example um at the end of the year those teams who are sort of up towards the top you will find they've had a consistency in the amount of players that they've used and it's very few they've had less injuries so that they've maintained that level of consistency and that to me is key then we look at the various lists that they've got and I'd, I'd go to say well let's always refer back to the fundamental ones can you squat can you deadlift can you push can you pull what's your hinges like um you know in a horizontal plane and a and a vertical plane and then once we've got all those then you can start to get into all the fluffy stuff and you know if, if people are coming to me for all the fluffy stuff then that's great we'll do that but we're only doing that once you've earned the right because you're good at all those other key fundamentals and when you've earned the yeah. right there well then then we can get into the really fancy stuff but we'll always go back to those key patterns yeah, and I think that's yeah that, that allows you then to kind of adjust it as you as you probably have across multiple sports and cultures. So <clears throat> I think that's a good summary along there, those lines. But then I guess the next question would be, as you mentioned, or as you were saying, when you go someplace, you tried to always say yes. Can you give some examples, maybe, of some some things that maybe you've done that you're like, oh, probably wouldn't have done it that way, but we we tried to make it work, and then how you tried to. Um, maybe slowly convince or, or, or maybe you kept it the same because it's, you enjoy You thought it worked actually pretty well. Uh, all right. I'll try and think of a example, um, where we said yes in terms of, uh, culturally. And then I'll, I'll, I'll also see if I can think of one in terms of S and C. Um, while I was at the Western force, um, Kieran Longbottom was one of our front row forwards and, and super experienced, played you know, all his way through from the, the Perth rugby pathways as a kid through school and then up through the academy and then into the senior senior squad and has been a real stalwart of the club. Um, and being a front rower, you know, all those dark arts, um, certainly a guy of 80-something kilos, he ringing wet, Never stuck my head in a scrum other than once being as a flanker and I watched the guy get lifted up above me and over me and I'm sure that was because of me. Um, he would come up with some really great exercises and he he really uh, provided such a fresh and um, enthusiastic view on how can we make our front rowers better. Right, we'll, we'll get in the squat rack and we'll, we'll put some bands in and around here and we'll hook them around our arms one around our hips and uh, we'll have a, a chalk that we can put our feet on so we're almost in a scrummaging set position and we're standing up and then how do we how do we engage to be able to create some extra power through there in order to maintain their shape but then increase the amount of power that they've got as they go into into contact um so I always say yes and, and then you've got to sit you've got to workshop it um, you know, what are we trying to do? How are we trying to do it? And is it repeatable? Is it workable? Um, and is it going to be valid, I guess? And is it going to give us what we want that we think we started out with that concept or idea? Um, in terms of culturally, well, I guess you know, when we're in Fiji, one of the things was that the, the guy suggested we get to this, um, this island that is just out off from um, from Suva when we, we were based there for the first couple of weeks. And uh, one of these, the, the head coach uh, and myself, Greg Mum, and I jumped in the, in the truck one day on a Sunday and our policy was, right, as we go out the front um, driveway, we get to alternate um, who says what direction. So every time we come to a, an intersection, we alternate and, you know, you just choose randomly. Do we go left and do we go right? And we just find out where it takes us. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, I think those are good examples, yeah, of ways that you've done and probably have gotten buy-in with, with relationships as well as um, 
you know, players buying into training more. So I guess that's a yeah, always say yes, and then referring back to your principles and making it system or making it repeatable and valid, as you said. So I think yeah, that's some good advice there. Um, what we'll go into next, I guess, maybe our main topic, kind of throughout the podcast, uh, is going to be more of our late stage rehab reconditioning and on a contact based field sport, especially since you've been working in rugby so much. So, um, I guess first one, just to kind of start this topic off would be, let's say obviously a player gets injured. Uh, what are your main focuses when this happens? You know, what are you looking at? What are you considering? What meetings are you having? What chat are you having to the players or player? Sorry. And then we can expand upon that. Yeah. Oh, look, you know, obviously that devastating moment where a player gets injured, um, nobody likes to see it. And as an S and C, it gives you a heart attack every time you see something. Um, I guess what we want to know is what was the mechanism of the injury. So we always refer back immediately to the video um, and we'll have a look at just in the lead up to the, the injury occurring and, and then after it, just after it, so that we can get an understanding of what they did as they injured it. Next stage is obviously you know, in the hands of the medical department who are sitting there and trying to then come up with the analysis and diagnosis and then okay from that where do we go we send them for scans immediately or not is that required um if it's not well then we'll get them into the medical on the on the following day um and we'll meet up with the doctor and then go through the plan of what it is that we've got to do um if it is a, a pretty serious injury we're okay they're off for scans and then the medical staff and myself will sit down and we'll then just come up with the basic scenario, the timeline, the schedule um, of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and, and getting them through their various stages to rehab and therefore who's going to be involved where and when and in what way with a timeline of we think that this is, you know, a six-week injury, right? Okay, well, you know, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? Um, we also have up on the board our various testing that we use with the players um, in fitness testing, whether in main squad. And we'll always refer back to those particular principles. We'll always look back to the database and find out what are their um, particular statistics and data. So what's their max velocity? We want to make sure we can find out what, you know, 70%, 75%, 80%, et cetera, et cetera is. So that when we're looking at the GPS and if they're running at that point in their rehab, that we can match up with that and get them back to what their uh, original levels of fitness were, or if it's a long-term one, well, okay, what improvements can we do and, and how do we go about making this like a, a little, you know, another off-season per se so that we can get them back in better shape. Um, in a nutshell, that's pretty much how we would go about doing it. Um, and then, you know, it starts to break down as to who's involved in what area and, and what do they need from each other so that we can slowly match up the needs for the player. Um, and then lastly, I guess, and, and a real important part of that is sitting down with the player and actually talking them through it, making sure that they're happy with the analysis, that they've got the right diagnosis, that they feel like they're being looked after um, in the right way with the best interests, and that is of the person and the player. Um, and then them to be able to connect with what we're proposing or and, and and get you know really behind the various systems and programs that we're going to put in place for them to get them better and back as soon as we can we're not just going to throw them to the walls we're going to make them better um, and hopefully when we say that better than when they went in um, into the game and, and got that injury so uh, hopefully that's a I guess a little broad overview of how we'd look at it um, now, the medical department early on will be the primary um, providers within the program and the, the strength and conditioning and physical performance department uh, are probably down the other end. And then as time goes by, we'll slowly um, change that where the, the physical performance department will take over a significant portion of the training um, and the medical department will certainly look after all his needs from that point of view um, until we get to that last stage where we need an analysis and the physios and ourselves will all combine to make sure that we're happy with the way that they're moving, the way that they're, for example, running, they're involved, they're changing direction, tackling um, all the components of, of what 
their position and what the sport requires of them to do. Yeah, and I think I like the point too you mentioned of, of you know, trying to maximize their training as well as focus on injury. So I think that's, you know, one thing that's usually forgotten a lot of times. Um, <clears throat> so I guess even if, if the medical department is, you know, taking over initially or early on or when, you know, they first get injured, what are the things, are you guys, is the physical development department or strength conditioning department still trying to focus on, you know, conditioning side, the lower, if the lower body injury is still focusing on the upper body, et cetera, you know, is, is there some integration in that standpoint and how do you guys, I guess, best work to, to prioritize the injury as well as training the rest of the body? Yeah, look, I mean, I guess we, we, we try to in some ways treat them as per normal, um, Right, you've got all these various areas that we need to build capacity in. So how are we going to go about doing that without affecting the injured part? Um, we want to try and include them as much as possible. Purely from a mental point of view, where we can involve them in the main squad with every particular moment. So if they're training, let's try and train them within the main squad where we can. So they've got their mates around them, they're helping them out, they're looking after them. Um, it just might mean that we've got to um, keep a bit more of an eye on them to assist them and run them through their program so that they've got the help that they need, that they're getting the technical analysis um, from that particular coach uh, a little bit more often than potentially the other group will. But where we can, we try and make sure that everything that they do uh, is with the main squad. Well, next stage is okay. How are we going to go about training the various things that they need? Have they got a, an aerobic capacity? Have they got an anaerobic capacity? Are they able to run? No, they're not. So what are we going to do to try and prevent them from being deconditioned? Um, right, well, if it's a lower body injury, have we got a grinder? Have we got a skier? Have we got ropes, boxing gloves? Do we sit them on a, a, a skier, uh, sorry, a, a rowing erg and get them just in a station there, you know, modifying what a, a rowing erg pool would look like. Um, what have we got available to us to be able to condition the athlete and maintain that level of conditioning prior to them returning to running? Um, even if we've got to mock some speed drills for them so that they can then get through those, we feel like we are providing them with training in all those various capacities until then they're able to move in, in a very big degree range of movement with no, no impact on the injury. Um, and then that's where you start to be able to find, you know, times where you'll ebb and flow, the, the injury will go really, really well very quickly. And then all of a sudden it might stop and you feel like you've stalled and you're not going anywhere. I mean, ask anyone that's had an ACL you know, rehab, they'll tell you exactly that, that, yeah, things went really really well and quickly and then all of a sudden it just seemed to you know grind to a halt we've got nowhere for a period of time um <clears throat> so that way at least then we're making sure that we're providing all those various things that we've identified that they need uh improvement in you know if it's flexibility is it their core strength is it their aerobic capacity their strength in their other limbs um as time goes on, we'll, we'll get the circumferences and measurements of the various um, injury sites to make sure that there's symmetry and everything's symmetrical before we put them into um, any, you know, return to training protocols that they're allowed to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing I want to talk about too, especially of how last couple of episodes ago, we talked about, like I said, quantifying contact and, and or trying to train for it etc not necessarily from an injured standpoint from as much as more of your um, able-bodied player that's not injured but i guess do you have contact progressions or or ways to build back in or things you're looking at uh especially you know from and, and differences from an upper body and a lower body and how you try and integrate back into there is it gym based is it initially and then obviously progressing in i'm assuming and then how do you kind of go about that yeah well i you know i guess what we've first and foremost got to be able to recognize is is this player up to it and we've got to go through the various stages of of rehab protocols where we we want to make sure that um 
they're able to get through that non-contact um, component before we then throw them into the contact. Um, in regards to contact, yeah, look, it'd be very basic. You want to make sure that they're able to just walk through the pattern. Let's say it's a shoulder injury or a pec injury and you're trying to introduce them into the contact. Well, you know, we, we ticked every box. We said, okay, we feel that this person's able to do a very early stage level of, of contact. What does that look like? Well, it'd be just someone holding a shield and then walking into it surrounding their arms, grabbing it with some sort of force and maybe a couple of steps beyond that as a dry phase within the tackle and repeat those processes both on both shoulders. Right, okay. Well, then what's the next stage of it? Is it getting up off the ground to then accelerating and then driving into a pad? You know, do we start at 60% because we think it's the first session and then what's next stage, 70, 80, 90? All right, now we're at full noise at 100%. The next stage of that would then to be and, and think about the game, what their position involves, what movements are they going to be primarily involved in. Um, so let's let's start to drip feed that a little bit more specifically. You know, is it a halfback? So, you know, how much one-on-one tackling are they going to be doing, for example, in behind the ruck? Um, it, it's probably minimal. So what style would we do? Okay, um, let's reenact that... Uh, the opposition halfback has um, picked and, and shot down the blind side and, and there was an overlap and they've got through a gap. So it's more a cover defence and being able to go through those. You really also got to try and pick the brains of the coaches then as well. Um, and the skill coaches are very important in being able to have one, their eye on their involvement and see that they're progressing and, and they've got one eye across there while the other eye is focusing on that main group um, as they're ready um, and getting some drills and skills from those coaches too to try and reenact what it is they're going to um, come up against in the course of a game or in training. Um, you know, we then got to look at the clean out. So it's not just a tackle. Is it a, is it a tackle that's upper body, tackle that's lower body? Let's go through those stages. And then cleaning out players, all right, so let's get someone in and let's, again, start from the very bottom and work our way out the top. Let's, uh, let's reenact the clean out. Yep, it's at 60%, 70%, 80%, 90%, full noise again, and, and let's do it at, at full pace. So being able to introduce those, and then once they've ticked all those boxes and we're happy enough for them to get back into training, well, how much of training are we going to be able to let them to do? So if it's a shoulder injury, um, all right, this is a full contact session. Well, he's not up to that yet. He drops out of that drill. We go through various drills with them in terms of their rehab stage that we'd be happy with. And, um, and then once they get through all those, as we reassess each week, we'll slowly start to then increase the amount of time that they'd spend in those full contact drills. Yeah, okay. And, and I think that's a good point too of uh, you know, using the coaches as well because you know they're going to be the one that's all the technical skills and then integrate with medical as well as S&C to be able to get all the rest of the whole full picture for the athlete um how how different would you say your upper versus lower body I guess return to contact return to combat whatever you want to call it is and is there certain things you try to look at one versus the other um along the return to that yeah well um Let's have a look and let's have a think. So in terms of the shoulder injuries are um, are certainly very difficult to um, to manage. Is there one that's easier than the other? Um, I guess if, if you're looking from a, a, a knee point of view and say an ACL, um, they're very difficult, aren't they? They're, they're so intense because you get that wrong the results show that, you know, it's, it's, it's regular that that could get wrong again, whether it's on the same leg or, or the opposite leg. Um, and so you're really wanting to be extremely thorough, uh, you know, when you're, when you're certainly looking at a long-term stage injury that's as severe as that. Um, we're looking then uh, at 
you know, what's their running gait look like, um, their running patterns and their technique. Are they favouring one leg from the other? Is is one leg being able to come up as high as the other one through that initial, um, you know, stride part of the phase? Um, in regards to shoulders, shoulders probably seem in comparison a little bit more robust. Um depending on the person. And, and I guess that comes down to, you know, do we feel confident in the bulletproofing that we've provided in their training programs to be able to therefore let them go and, and get them back. Shoulder injuries are, seem to come back a little bit earlier than um, than your knees and, and what have you. Um, hamstrings, well, I mean, you're wanting to make sure again, are, are we ticking all the boxes so? Is one more important than the other? No. I guess um, ACLs are ones where you will find that um, you spend a lot more time on to make sure you get right. Uh, um, whereas shoulders, you, you don't feel that sense of trepidation when they're going out there like it's your little child for the first time ever running out of the big wide world and letting him go, you know, you feel like you're so attached to it and you want to make sure what you're doing is correct. So um, are they different or anything? No, they're not. Um, but uh, I, I guess in relation to contact, um, you just got to be really mindful and always wondering what could go wrong before you then let them into that particular stage of the rehab. Yeah, okay. I think that's a good way to think about it. What could go wrong? And I'll, do you think they're ready for what potentially could go wrong? I think that's a good point to go. And then even if you want, um, if you if you have those stages, you know those stages, if you want to maybe talk about the ones that you guys try and progress through there and then some examples of how you'd inter- integrate or what they could do contact-based-wise in each, each of those phases. Yeah, sure. Well, look, I, I mean, we... We want to make sure that we're um, uh, really walking them through the system. So, you know, are you able to uh, get through that sort of part to it in order to make sure that um, they're confident, the player, when they're going into that activity? So you've got to walk before you can run. And if they can do that, well, then great. That's that's the ideal scenario and, and therefore slowly starting to progress through that. Um, at the Waratahs, we, we had, you know, in terms of their return to contact, we had a, a number of stages. We had uh, four, five stages, sorry, but each particular stage had different levels to it. So level one, you know, an attacker held the pad. Um, they had to hit and follow through with two steps and, and they walked versus the opponent walking. Then they ran. Um, uh, one person would jog and then, then the tackle would walk. Um, then you've got both jogging together so that you've increased the speeds at which they're able to do it. Um, level two, well, then, you know, an attacker's holding a pad and they do a drill where they're in the grid. So you're, you're doing your basic um, tracking, tracking movement patterns um, that are involved. So once they've done that then um, they um, are in a little bit less controlled environment. So you've gone from a closed environment to a uh, controlled environment to a really chaotic and sporadic environment is, is the various stages that you've got a way of looking at it. And that way we can make sure that, you know, we're increasing the intensity and effort from these guys, but um, as well as that, we're putting them into situations and scenarios that are more specific to the game that are going to require them to react in a different way that they have no idea is coming. Um, so once we've done those, um, you know, then you start to look at, well, what contact have they got to do on the ground rather than just up high in, in that tackling, you know, in contact phase of it. Um, you know, in terms of rucking and mauling, are they able to get through the ruck? Are they clean someone out? And again, walking them through that. Is it just walking versus an opponent that's walking? Are they walking and the opponent's jogging? Are they jogging and the opponent's walking? Take them through all those very basic steps and never think that 
this step is too basic for them to to do. And um, once you see the confidence, the next day, how do they walk in and present? Is there any injury? Is there any problem that's come from that? No, there's not. Well, okay. How much time do we need to spend on this component before we're then confident and pushing them into that next phase of it? Uh, until then, we, we have a completely uh, chaotic and uncontrolled environment where they're allowed back into various drills so that they can um, you know, integrate back into the main, main group. Yeah, okay. And then, so are those the two main? You're going to obviously do your standing stuff with different players, walking, jogging, et cetera, building up there percentage-wise, and then you're going to go with your... Um, stuff from the ground and coming up? Is there any other main stages that you try to go on there? Those are your main main two focuses, <clears throat> obviously progressions within each. Yeah, look, I think um, in regards to that, we again make sure that they've gone through it at a very low, a low speed level. And then once they've done that, great. Well, then let's slowly start to increase the speed, um, getting them up off the ground to be able to hit someone. Um, but even before the stage, you know, if it's a shoulder injury, are they able to push themselves up off the ground? Can they do that? Let's just go through that progression first before we then involve any particular contact that um, you know might be might be wanting to drop in. Um, always go back and wonder what the progression is and start from the very beginning and work your way through it. What's what's the the first stage of all of it? Right, it's getting up off the ground. Has the shoulder got the strength, the flexibility, the, the range of movement to be able to cope with getting up off the ground? Um, okay, yeah, they do. Right, well, we've practised that ad nauseum. We've got no reaction. We've got no problem with it. Um, what's the next phase of it? Right, well, then it's going into that tackle tackle scenario. Um, you know, is it against the pad? Right, oh, we've done all the pad work and all that's good. Now we've got to do it against an opponent that's got no pads, that's live getting up off the ground, going into that contact situation, no pads involved, um, you know, body on body like they will in a, in a training drill. Um, and then once we're happy with that, we put them back into training. And then the next phase is how, how long do we consider they need to get through training to then get back into playing? Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a really good point of, you know, even aggressing it back further, can they do – you know, as you said, push up off the ground before you even go into any sort of, of contact type based drill. So is that something that, you know, instead of a lot of, I think a lot of people look at, oh, I want to make sure, well, first off, what is contact necessarily? There's a massive continuum of what it really is. But then second off, uh, I think a lot of people would be able to go, they'd have to be real, like really strong and they have to feel really robust in that shoulder before they'd introduce into that quote unquote contact. So are you saying that, you know, again, it's that continuum. So you almost start as, as early as possible, as, as long as those initial things are ticked off and you try to pair that with a very low-level drill, as in they're able to push up off the ground and then they're able to just walk and have a wrap into a pad or something like that. So it's almost initially it's part of the program from day day one as soon as they can do those basic movements. Oh, correct, absolutely. And then when you're thinking about the game of rugby, there's 30 players that are involved in the, in the field at one time. So, you know, at the very last stages of... Of, um, of return to, to contact and return to play, then involving multiple people. So it's not just him that's involved. We'll probably get you know, four people involved in that particular drill so that they get the feeling that it's a, a regular game and there's people coming at different angles with different forces and different speeds to do completely different jobs um, and making sure that they've done each of those particular jobs as well. Were they the tackler? Were they the first person in to try and jackal the ball away? Um, were they the person cleaning out? Were they the ball carrier? Were they able to go into contact holding a ball and be tackled? Not just tackle itself. So there are two parts to the game. There's attack and defence. Um, and, and understanding that all those variables are thrown into 80 minutes of chaos with the hope that you come out on top. Yeah, no, and I think, again, with the fact of, of thinking about it in a way of, you know, usually it's, all right, at this point, they're they're allowed to return to contact, but, you know, a lot of times, obviously, you have to let the medical, you know, everything heal properly, respect tissue healing, et cetera, to a certain point, but 
again, if you're doing any sort of heavier lifting versus just a walk, wrap your arms around a pad, it's, it's going to be way low, way lower level than a heavier lift. So I think a lot of times people think, <clears throat> you know, your return to running type stuff, you can have drills that you can integrate a lot sooner than people do. And there's probably similar than as you're saying with, with your return to contact type stuff, you can start that as early on. And I think that's, you know, you're almost looking at it three, three standpoint. Then you're looking at the gym, you're looking, <clears throat> or maybe even four, looking at the gym, looking at conditioning, you're looking at return to run as well as return to contact. And those are all things that can start almost day one, as long as they tick off those very initial things. Would you, is that, would you agree with that? And from along this point, the earlier you can get them doing um, the movement patterns they're used to doing, the better, um, you know. And and in some cases, it's considered part of their rehab to be able to walk without their crutches uh, or a moon boot and getting that load back in, so that the tissue and the tendons understand. Oh yeah, hang on a minute. This is what I was built to do. This is what what we used to do. So. Um, let's go back to that default setting and, and let's start getting back into those particular movements so that we can progress things on. Um, you know, where we like a hamstring injury, like trying to get them to walk, um, you know, when it's possible um, so that we're getting the regular flood, blood flow throughout the tissues, um, eventually to try and help that, that healing process. It's, it's coming. And obviously you've, you've worked in a obviously in a high level setting with the ability to have more communication with surgeons and, and so on. So in major injuries or like your bigger shoulder injuries, et cetera, you know, you'll get that a lot of times four months where they can return to contact or X date they can return to contact. Have you had commun- like communications and conversations with them, with them to where they go? Yeah. I mean, this is, they're able to do that early on and, and you guys have, have worked to kind of develop that or is it more physio in you or, or has that conversation really been brought up? Cause I think that's, especially at the semi-professional and lower levels, oh, I can't do contact for four months. And then it goes from zero to 100 and there isn't always that progression back. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's key to setting up the various milestones that we think are important in being able to tick off the course of rehab of an injury so that we can feel like we have, made sure we've done what we said we were going to do. Um, you know what? I'm not going to force a guy into doing something if they're not ready. Um, but then they may have shown that they've ticked off these milestones earlier. Some people are those natural healers. Um, so you're yeah, having those milestones set between the conversation, all three, you know, having the surgeon and our team doctor, having the physio and having myself all there, understanding what, has occurred in the in the in, if it's the operation well okay um, this is what the operation was this is what we did this is what we expect to see and here's a timeline with various milestones that we would tick off in this in those course of the rehab um, if it's a scan the scan comes back again the doctor reads the scan with the physio this is what I see this is what we know from past research in relation to the um, timeline for healing, these are the various milestones that we expect to see and um, and make sure that we tick those off. We do those, like we've said, you've got to earn the right to move on to the next stage of, of training. So once they get through all those, we test, retest, is everything okay? Most importantly, does the player come back the next day and says, no, I've got no bad um, effects or feeling or soreness, Great. Okay. Welcome into the next stage of rehab and let's move on. Um, yeah. And that occurs the whole way through, you know, and it's not just getting them into, into games, but then it's following up after that, right? What do we see? What's going on throughout the course of a game? What, what's occurred to that particular injury site um, in relation to, say, measurements of squeeze tests or yeah, flexibility and range of movement in various directions? so that we understand everything that we've been doing is right uh, to the best of our ability to be able to keep the player doing what it is that they do and, and are there to do. Yeah, and I guess, as you mentioned, if they're not ready for it, if they don't feel ready for it, you, they're not ready for it in your mind. Is there anything you've done in the past that, you know, when players aren't mentally ready for it, anyways, you've tried to help, help with that or anyways, any, anything you've, you've noticed that's, that's helped? help them progress mentally if, if you know physically you know you think they're ready physically but that mental standpoint you know they don't feel ready 
how do you how do you approach that oh you don't you, you don't push it too much um you know what it's again I'll, I'll use the example of taking your child for the first time ever swimming swimming lessons and you know what they'll they'll splash about and they'll love it and and there you are you're you're holding on to them um and then it comes time to let go of mum or dad and They've got to feel like that they're confident enough to do it. And some of them will and some of them won't. Um, that becomes more a judgment of the character and the person and the connection that you've built over time. Um, I would always personally just go back to the previous beginning stage of, of what it is that we were trying to do and work through the, the process again. And when we're happy enough with that, well, then I'd be willing to take just a, a trial and error um, with a controlled setting so that I know I'm not going to make the, the injury any worse. I'm confident in that. And then um, see whether or not with repetition we can start to get them feeling a lot more confident. If they're not confident, then sitting with them and talking through the whole um, process and then saying, well, what can we do to help make you feel more confident in being able to perform this particular exercise? And, and you've got to try and build that rapport with the player, then that's, that's where that becomes key, that they've got confidence in you, they've got confidence in the system. You've explained it in detail, the safety, the purpose and the techniques involved and then go through it bit by bit and let them just dip their toe in the water if that's what they've got to do. But understand that if you're going to force it, well, then it, it's only going to set you back, not forwards. Yeah, no, definitely agree with that. And... I guess when you know when they've gone through all these stages, they're inter- they're integrated back into training. You say, okay, I think you're ready to go back into training, fully without restrictions. Do you have how do you approach about okay, they're fully into training, but obviously games completely different. So how do you go okay after X amount of time in, in training, I think they're ready for a game. Or what are your? I mean, there's not going to be a black and white answer, but it, what are your other considerations when you're looking from a standpoint of I think you're ready to go full training. But what's the next step of your full training into a game? Depends on the injury. Depends on the stage of the year that you're in. Um, you know, if it's the back end of the year and we're running short on players in that position, sometimes things are accelerated, um, rightly or wrongly. But it's always got to be done with the best interest of the player at heart because you've got to have a long-term view. If you don't have a long-term view and it's only short-term, um, well, then I think we're doing the the player and injustice. Sometimes it requires a little bit of short-term thinking, but you know what? The, the long-term will always take precedence, in my opinion, over, over the short-term. Um, what is really helpful is finding a low level. Uh, if we're trying to find a game for them and, and we want to build that confidence, what can we do depending on what the injury is all right so let's say it's again an acl it's their first game back what do we do do we chuck them straight into 80 minutes of a super rugby game or do we find a local club game and we say right you've got 20 minutes get your confidence get your timing back and build that rugby um knowledge again into your body so that you're understanding that this is game time, this is what I do. Um, know what intensity we're training at and then what are the intensities of the games that we're looking at trying to find for them and why do we want to put them in that particular game? Well, we want them to just build uh, game time. So they've got 20 minutes this week. They got through no problems. Do they stay in that club game and get 30 minutes, 40 minutes, build it week by week so that we then feel like with what we do at our training, which may be a higher intensity than a club club game, potentially, depending on what we're doing, maybe, maybe not. Um, and finding that spot that's going to service the injury and the player the best. When we've built up game time and we're confident in the injury that there's no... Um, reoccurring problems, no soreness, no swelling um, of any description, no, no in, inhibition of the injury itself, 
right, well, now when are we confident putting them back into that high-level stuff? Um, and like I said, in some occasions, it's you, like a radio, you've got to just chuck them in. Um, it's that time of the year. We all know the risks. We all understand it. We feel confident in what we've done. We've held back a week because we want to do extra training. Um, yep, look, it's that end of the year. We just need this player and we need them back. Okay, yeah, they've had 15 games prior to that. Yes, they've had seven weeks off, but the 15 games have held them in good stead. We feel like we can get them one club game and back into full competition. Um, you've got to try and match those demands to what you're trying to achieve in returning them back to playing. Yeah, no, I think I think that honestly sums it up, sums, sums everything up because you know start initially the your experiences across multiple sports, multiple cultures, and how that's kind of worked throughout this whole entire conversation, as well as starting from initially you know what you're looking at all the way back up now to what you're looking at at the end of when returning to play at a, at a full game. So I think, I think that, you know, sums up the episode pretty well. If, is there any, any other main points you think we missed or I guess your biggest um, recommendations or takeaways, whether that come from your experiences across multiple sports with different people or just the return to contact continuum as we relatively talked about? Is there anything? Yeah, that- I guess, I mean, looking at sport overall, um, I would probably say there are a couple of key elements. Um, first and foremost, understand the progressions and have your timeline and understand that that timeline will shift, you know, forward or backwards. The player is ready when the player is ready and the injury is not, not giving us any, um, any problems. Number two is know and and do your best to understand your player and build that rapport with the player. So there is absolute trust on both sides. They trust what you're providing. You trust what they're saying and how they're doing it and what they're doing. Um, And and that will get you uh, everywhere. And then knowing and understanding in that progression what the physical demands are of the game and also what the player provides in terms of their various capacities to do things. What is their their beep score, beep test score, or what is their 1.2K Bronco time, or what's their max velocity speed? And relative for that, what is the um, what are the percentages that you're able to take them through? And if you put all those key fundamentals through together, then you add in and around it the various... Um, other things that you're trying to achieve that are positionally specific and and hopefully that gives you the key fundamentals in terms of rehabbing a player. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to be on and, and summing that up with and sharing the knowledge you've had. Um, if you have if you have anywhere people want to follow you or anywhere that they can reach out, um, you can say that now and I can put those in the show notes. Yeah, mate, I, I guess, you know, if you want to, you can certainly email me or, or just, I can send you the private emails. It's daviddwar at hotmail.com um, or Instagram. I think it's davejd19. Uh, um, and, you know, those two handles are probably the best way to get a hold of me. Perfect. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. No, not at all. Thanks for having me, mate. Good to see you. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.